Welcome to Misty 101 podcast. We hope that you enjoy this episode of our podcast. Broken Boris Johnson can no longer lie his way out of trouble. The crucial part of any lie is that it must be believable. Not necessarily by everyone but by enough to create a margin of doubt, however small. It also helps if the lie feeds into the audience's weakness by telling them what they want to hear. One of the ways someone who is serially unfaithful can get away with it for so long is that their partner would rather cling to something demonstrably untrue than face the reality of being betrayed. Again. The creaks in the excuses cover up those in the bed springs. Much the same applies to politics. Voters frequently back snake oil salesmen simply because they need to believe in a promised land. One that's often located somewhere in an imagined, nostalgic past. No one knows this better than Boris Johnson. If he has a talent, it's a talent for lying. And while it may have cost him countless relationships and friendships, it has taken him all the way to Downing Street. Put simply, he has become Prime Minister by lying better than all the other contenders for the job. But now he has run out of road and the lies have caught up with him. He's the cartoon villain hopelessly spinning his legs before plunging into the abyss. Brexit has failed to deliver any of its promised rewards and inflation, at more than 5%, is far higher than wage growth. No matter how Boris tries to spin it, people are feeling more broke by the week. Nor is the Clown Act working anymore. Every comedian has their day and people no longer find him funny. He is the man without qualities. The lies are no longer believable and the jokes are far too tired to paper over the cracks. Johnson's japes about the parties not being parties and the rules being obeyed at all time, wink, lie face down, dead in the water. He has lost all trust, all credibility. His lies and cover-ups are an insult to all those who bothered to follow the regulations. Worst of all, he doesn't even realize he's the author of his own downfall. Inspector Clueless There were a few cheers as Johnson took his place in the chamber for the last Prime Minister's questions of the year. Though they had a hollow echo given that 99 Tories had given Boris the finger the night before. Most of the noise was merely a Pavlovian response. Those making it feel no sense of loyalty and will happily back a new leader when the time is right, for their own advancement as well as the Tory parties. An absence of loyalty is a two-way street. Indeed an outsider might well have believed it was Keir Starmer who was the Prime Minister and Boris who was the leader of the opposition from the exchanges that followed. It was Starmer who had all the best lines. The confidence born of carrying the moral authority of the house. Johnson merely burbled and rambled, free associating past remembered punchlines that had never really landed the first time months ago when some still took him seriously as prime minister. Neither do his backbenchers trust him. They'd always known he was a liar, but he had been their liar. Now he's not even that. He's just a shambles. Both mentally and physically. He looks broken. 
the body of an 80-year-old blob who has let himself go, topped off with a toddler's haircut. A wreck of a human being turned wrecking ball to the country. Someone who knows he is failing and takes out his anger on all those around him. That includes you. The labor leader raced through his questions, scoring easy wins along the way. It had been labor votes that had ensured the new COVID measures became law and it was labor the country could trust to protect the national health. The Tory backbenchers were right to have no confidence in someone who consistently overpromised and couldn't tell the truth about the parties in Downing Street. There's almost been enough to fill an advent calendar but totally out of touch when it came to understanding the criticality of the Omicron pandemic. MPs who had no qualms about depriving people of their citizenship and limiting rights to protest now found wearing a mask a step too far. Johnson did what he always does when under pressure, invented a fantasy narrative to suit himself that only he believed. Not so much socially distanced from the truth as antisocially distanced. At times he was completely delusional, insisting that Labour would never have implemented a vaccine program and that he alone would be prepared to put in place a Plan C. All this when Plan B had never been likely to stop Omicron but was the best he could hope to swing past enough of his die-and-let die backbenchers. We reached peak madness of King Boris with his insistence he hadn't relied on Labour votes on Tuesday night. When you don't understand primary school addition and subtraction, it's really time to go. Even Preeti Patel can almost manage that. Stupidity seems to be spreading faster than Omicron through the cabinet. Many backbenchers slid away after the exchanges between the two leaders, but there was still time for more nonsense. First Boris tried to claim he had the NHS right behind him. He doesn't. Most doctors fucking hate him their words for leaving them so exposed and under-resourced during the pandemic. And now they've been given the impossible target of delivering more than 1M jabs a day over the holiday period. Then, after a quick chat to Liz Britannia Truss, who momentarily broke off looking at her coronation Christmas cards on Instagram, he lied to Tom Tujandut about cuts to the foreign office. Both Liz and I can't wait for her to become the next Tory leader. Later that afternoon, Johnson was giving a Downing Street press conference in which he re-announced the booster campaign he had first announced on Sunday. Call it the Bertie Booster Timelug. Though he still couldn't quite explain why he hadn't started the boosters weeks earlier or why the EU had been quicker to approve vaccines for 5 to 12 year olds. Inevitably, he was asked whether this wasn't all too little too late. Not at all said Boris. Hang on said Chris Whitty, looking more and more like a haunted, overworked undertaker. His best advice was to sit tight, not go anywhere and do the exact opposite of anything the Prime Minister advised. Piffle paffle waffle waffle jabbered the out-of-control bullshit generator. The best thing is to carry on inviting as many people as possible to parties. Just don't bother to turn up to them yourself. By now the presser had collapsed under its internal contradictions. 
something Johnson did nothing to address by insisting once more that his own parties had been serious work affairs to which Covid hadn't been invited. And in any case the public didn't really care what he did and was just thrilled that he did anything at all. I think we'll be the judge of that. Scale back your Christmas plans, say Boris Johnson and Chris Whitty. The public is being urged to scale back their socialising in the run-up to Christmas as the chief medical officer suggested that they should only attend events they consider a priority. Chris Whitty told a Downing Street briefing that people should prioritise the social interactions that mean a lot to them in the following weeks. Boris Johnson said that the public should think carefully before attending any social gatherings, especially those involving strangers. It was a marked switch in emphasis from last week, when the Prime Minister said people should keep going with Christmas parties but avoid going into work. The warnings around Christmas socialising came as daily Covid figures reached a record high of 78,610 the highest daily figure recorded during the pandemic. Health officials on Wednesday warned that rates were now doubling in less than two days. On current trends, this would mean more than 2.5 million cases by Christmas Day, and 8 million people in isolation, if Britain's testing capacity was able to keep up. Record Day On Wednesday, evidence from restaurants Workplaces and traffic suggested that people had begun a self-imposed lockdown in an effort to avoid being in isolation on Christmas Day. Anyone who tests positive from Wednesday onwards will be in isolation for 10 days and unable to leave home until after Christmas Day. It was, however, a record day for booster jabs. On Wednesday, the government announced 656,711 third vaccines were administered across the UK on Tuesday. Professor Witty said the speed at which the virus was moving was phenomenal while the head of the UK Health Security Agency said quite staggering figures were expected in coming days. On Wednesday night, the country's chief medical officer said, I think what most people are doing and I think this seems very sensible is prioritising the social interactions that mean a lot to them and, to prioritise those ones, the prioritising ones that mean much less to them. The point I'm making is don't mix with people you don't have to, either work or for things that don't really matter to you. Prioritise what matters he added, saying. I don't think you need a medical degree to know that is a sensible thing to do with an incredibly infectious virus, about which there are quite a lot of things we don't know. Dr Nikki Kanani, Director of Primary Care at NHS England, said that she was scaling back her Christmas plans and also suggested people should avoid going to football matches or other large sports events. She said, my advice would be if you're going to go to a stadium at the weekend, make it one when you can get your vaccine, or help out to give a vaccine rather than thinking about watching a match. The Confederation of British Industry, CBI, said that suggestions to limit socialising would have a chilling effect on the hospitality industry. The British Chambers of Commerce said that the comments would have an enormous impact on restaurants and bars and called for the government to provide help for the sector. 
At a Downing Street briefing, Professor Witty painted a bleak picture of the situation facing Britain. He said, I'm afraid we have to be realistic that records will be broken a lot over the next few weeks as the rates continue to go up. What we've got is two epidemics on top of one another an existing Delta epidemic, roughly flat, and a very rapidly growing Omicron epidemic on top of it. The Prime Minister insisted this Christmas would be considerably better than last year, but urged the public to think carefully before attending any social functions. Get a test. He told the briefing. I said many times that I thought that this Christmas would be considerably better than last Christmas. I stick to that. We're not cancelling events. We're not closing down hospitality, we're not cancelling people's parties or their ability to to mix, what we are saying is, think carefully before you go. What kind of an event is it? Are you likely to meet people that are vulnerable? Are you going to meet loads of people you haven't met before? Get a test. Make sure that there's ventilation, wear a mask on transport and get tested before you go. Only a week earlier, when asked what his message was on Christmas parties and nativity plays, the Prime Minister said they should not be cancelled. We think it's okay currently, on what we can see, to keep going with Christmas parties. But obviously everybody should exercise due caution Mr Johnson said. On Wednesday, Dr Kanani told the Downing Street briefing, I want to see my immediate family on Christmas Day. So I'm going to be really, really careful until I get to that moment, watching what I do, and prioritizing working on the vaccine program, working in general practice so that I can get those special moments with my family. She said she was scaling back Christmas plans, saying there would be far fewer things that I'll do with my children as we run up to Christmas focusing instead on being a family at home. Almost 25 million people have now received a booster jab and around 20 million people will be eligible for them by the end of the year. The rollout will see mass vaccination sites opened at football grounds with Wembley Stadium open to booked appointments and walk INS on Sunday, and Japs offered at Stamford Bridge, the home of Chelsea FC. Dr Jenny Harris, chief executive of the UK Health Security Agency, on Wednesday described the Omicron coronavirus variant as probably the most significant threat we've had since the start of the pandemic. She told the Commons Transport Select Committee, I'm sure for example, the numbers that we see on data over the next few days will be quite staggering compared to the rate of growth that we've seen in cases for previous variants. Threat that NHS could be overwhelmed next month. On Wednesday, a government scientist said the NHS could be overwhelmed next month. Professor Graham Medley a member of the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies said he thought that was a very real possibility. The scientist from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine raised fears of a concertina effect with four months of epidemic all hitting hospitals at one time. Speaking about infection levels, he told BBC Radio 4S Today programme, we're probably now at the level that we have been at in the past sort of back in January, 
and it does look as though it's going to continue beyond that and go over it. It came as the hospitality industry warned that Britain had been pushed into lockdown by stealth with a wave of pre-Christmas cancellations hitting restaurants, pubs and hotels. With 10 days until Christmas Day, vast swathes of the population are trying to avoid a coronavirus infection which would force them into isolation over the holiday period. Tony Danker, the Confederation of British Industry, CBI, Director General, said warnings from the government were creating a chilling effect on many sectors of the economy. It seems to us that, whilst we have measures to keep the economy open, we have messages that have ended up closing much of it down. People should be worried enough to go and get a booster urgently, but not so worried to stop going to shops, restaurants or airports he told BBC Radio 4's Today programme. Baroness Ruby McGregor-Smith, President of the British Chambers of Commerce, said, the need for the Chief Medical Officer to advise the public to deprioritise social contacts at tonight's press conference will almost certainly have an enormous impact for businesses, particularly in the hospitality sector. Despite this still we heard no news of any new financial support measures coming from the government to help those businesses and others badly affected by the current restrictions. One economic think tank warned that hospitality businesses would see £1.3 billion wiped off their revenues in December because of late cancellations, while new figures suggested offices are operating at 12% of capacity the lowest level since March. Tom Courage, one of Britain's best-known chefs said 654 diners had cancelled bookings at just one of his six restaurants and warned that many places are going to crumble, while Sir Cameron McIntosh, the theatre impresario, told The Telegraph, the last 10 days fearsome government rhetoric have seriously affected forward bookings and, just looking round the streets, it's obvious that footfall is only a fraction of what it should be for one of the busiest weeks of the year. Kate Nichols, the chief executive of UK Hospitality, said, There is a great desire for people to protect a family Christmas and therefore they are adjusting their behaviour accordingly in advance. You are seeing restrictions by stealth. Hospitality UK estimated that 40% of Christmas bookings at restaurants and hotels had been cancelled in the past fortnight. Where's the Chancellor? Sunak urged to support hospitality firms suffering mass cancellations. Chancellor Rishi Sunak is facing growing calls to provide extra support to hospitality businesses suffering mass cancellations amid the rising number of COVID infections. Top health officials have advised Britons to limit their social interactions with others in the run-up to Christmas as the Omicron variant spreads across the UK. Prime Minister Boris Johnson has also told people to think carefully before attending social events in the coming weeks. These messages, and the government's imposition of Plan B measures for dealing with Covid this winter, have led to fears of a huge hit for the hospitality industry at what should usually be their busiest time of year. Many businesses have reported a spate of cancellations in recent days, including for Christmas parties. 
One London restaurant alone was said to have had more than 300 cancellations in the last two days alone. MPs from across the House of Commons, including Conservatives, have now called on Mr Sunak's Treasury to step in and give further support to businesses through the coming weeks. The Chancellor was also accused by trade unions of being missing in action after it emerged he was on a four-day trip to California this week. Greg Smith, the Tory MP for Buckingham, warned that the new Covid measures were going to hit the economy hard. With panic setting in, people are cancelling bookings, so it's vital government recognises the consequences of these restrictions. Much as I hate the idea of yet more state borrowing, the right thing to do is support businesses hit. Labour's shadow Chancellor Rachel Reeves asked, where is the Chancellor? After Professor Chris Whitty, England's chief medical officer, advised people to deprioritise those social interactions that mean much less to them, Ms Reeves added, following the science is crucial but this will hit businesses and workers in sectors like hospitality hard. It's unacceptable that he, Mr Sunak, wasn't there to outline business support. Darren Jones, another Labour MP who is chair of the Commons Business Select Committee, said the Prime Minister's message to think carefully was the type of vagueness that will make people feel they must cancel their dinner, drinks and other events. Government must turn the financial support for business and workers back on he added. Labour's London Mayor, Sadiq Khan, also said it was extremely disappointing that the government had yet to announce much-needed financial support for businesses facing a wave of cancellations and closures. Alison Thewlis, the SNP's shadow chancellor at Westminster, said MPs should have heard a plan from the chancellor by now. A spokesperson for Mr Sunak confirmed the Chancellor was currently on a long-planned trip to the US conducting government business with back-to-back -back meetings and round tables. He is of course in touch with HM Treasury officials all the time and is speaking to representatives from the hospitality industry tomorrow they added. After it emerged Mr Sunak was abroad. TUC General Secretary Francis O'Grady accused the Chancellor of being missing in action. The Chancellor should be stood next to the Prime Minister, announcing help to pay wages, save jobs and stop businesses going to the wall she told the Daily Mirror. A Treasury spokesperson said, We have acted early to help control the virus's spread while avoiding damaging economic and social restrictions by allowing businesses to remain open. Our £400 billion COVID-19 support package will continue to help businesses into spring next year and we will continue to respond proportionately to the changing path of the virus, as we have done since the start of the pandemic. Ship called Sun Rio arrives in port with a bunch of frozen cars. Sailors use reagents fire hydrants, and even crowbars to get rid of the thick ice. Taking delivery of a new car in these hectic times requires a lot of patience since the microchip shortage has forced customers to patiently wait for many months to grab the keys to their prized possessions. These vehicles coming all the way from South Korea to dock at the port in Vladivostok in Russia had all the precious semiconductors, 
and yet owners still might have to wait a bit more than the usual. Why? Because of our ruthless mother nature. Having faced extreme weather conditions during transit, the cars arrived at Russia's largest port on the Pacific Ocean encapsulated in thick ice. Citing the captain's ship, Russian publication VL writes, It's December, the sea is rough and windy. The water splashes on board, making a crust. It's no big deal. Except that this year the winds are much stronger than usual. But sailors are used to it. It happened before, we used to unload, and it was okay. Built in Japan back in 1991, the ship is ironically called Sun Rio and carries the country flag of Panama where the temperature varies between 75 to 90 degrees Fahrenheit, 24 to 32 degrees Celsius, throughout the year. In service for three decades, the vehicle carrier is registered in the transcontinental country in Central America and South America. It currently travels along the Vladivostok, Toyama-Bissan route. As far as the cars being transported, VL mentions the ship only had Japanese models on deck, including the Honda Fit Forward Slash Jazz and Toyota Tank Forward Slash Rumi. It's quite common for vehicles to arrive in this state during winter, and when that happens, sailors break the ice before unloading them from the ship. They apparently use everything from reagents and fire hydrants to the good old crowbar. And yes, Sometimes the cars are damaged in the process. Man gets out of hospital to find 178 home estate has been built around his house. A man who refused to let his childhood home be demolished returned from hospital to find developers had built a new estate around him. Charlie Wright, 70, had for years refused to sell his four-bedroom property in the Wirral, despite all his neighbors selling up and moving out. The area became an open wasteland as all the other houses were flattened and an isolated Charlie was attacked and hit with a hammer in his own home. After a prolonged hospital stay, he got back to discover he'd acquired 178 new neighbors as the new homes had been built anyway. He said, I'd spent most of the last year in hospital. When I left, they told me let's go and see your house. I couldn't believe it, I said look at all these houses here. Charlie refused to move away from the area because he had grown up in the Ilchester Road home with his parents and his eight brothers and sisters. Over the years, his solitary house with its Union Jack flying outside became a curious sight near Birkenhead North Station. It was once part of an old estate known as River Streets so-called because the streets were all named after British rivers. Now, the house is a detached property after the removal of the two derelict homes either side and the outside has been given a fresh lick of paint. Charlie said, I won't move from here. My family has had this house for 100 years. It was my parents' house and they raised their children here. Twenty-odd years ago they began pulling the estate down and the council offered people £2,000 and a house to move to. I just said, look this house is not up for sale. Margaret Thatcher gave the ordinary person the right to buy their council house. 
There's nothing to think about, this house will never be sold. The only way anyone will get their hands on this house will be when I'm six feet under. Charlie, who was previously chairman of the Old Estates Community Association, has rarely left the area and says he has never had a holiday in his life. The retired boilerman, who worked at the nearby Mobile Oil site, said even a trip over the water to Liverpool was a rarity. He said, it just never bothered me. Living round here, when it was the old estate, everybody knew everyone. It was brilliant, everybody mucked in. It didn't bother me after they knocked it down. I used to go out every day with my dog, have my mates round. I could sit on the step here and foxes would come up and I used to feed them. But having neighbours again has made him feel safer, particularly after the nasty attack that left him hospitalised. Last December, a thug broke into Charlie's house, held a knife to his throat while demanding money, and then hit him three times over the head with a hammer. Charlie suffered life-changing injuries, including memory impairment, and spent the best part of a year being treated in hospital and then at a specialist brain injuries unit. He said, it doesn't change the way I feel about living here. I'm never moving out of my house. Before this happened, I'd never had so much as a break-in in the 70 years I've lived here. Most of the memories are really good ones. I'm quite happy with myself. I've gone from living in a terraced house to a detached house with a driveway, so it's paid off for me in the end. We hope that you have enjoyed our podcast. We thank you for your support. We wish all our followers a very happy new year. We hope to see you again next time.